Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Uh, every, every opportunity I get to share, I take it very seriously. I prepare at home before I come because I don't believe God blesses laziness. And then in the hotel room, I change my mind. And I think, why can't I just stick with what I prepared when I left home? Uh, but that's what happens when you carry a bit of a prophetic edge. You just don't want to give information. You want there to be impartation. Would it be okay for just a bit bright? I can't. I want to. I want to look at you. Make sure that if you fall asleep, I'll prophesy over you. And uh, no, it's it's really really good. You know, um, I come from an Italian background. I never ever thought that God would ever use uh, an Italian like me. My wife married me, convinced I would never be in the ministry. I was a menswear salesman, and uh, so God got her to marry me and then called me into the ministry afterwards, and so, um, and so we've been married 44 years. I said to the church back in Adelaide, I said, for our 45th, I'm taking her to Italy, and the whole church clapped and cheered. I said, for our 50th, I'm going to go and get her back. <laughs> they didn't like that bit. <laughs> so, you know... You gotta laugh, don't you? You know, I said to the men this morning, she hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me, so you know. Um, so uh, I'm a turbo teeth. She's the quiet one, you know. And uh, but it's really good to be with you. And um, you know, growing up in an Italian home, uh, my mum, she's in a home now. We can't do this anymore, and it's so sad to uh, not take advantage of the time we have with relationships. Uh, because sometimes they'll be taken away and it'll be too late. And uh, this is ringing a bit, so I don't know whether I need to... A bit closer? Okay. I'll try not to shout too much. And um, mum used to make the sauce on Saturday. If you're an Italian grandma, you make the spaghetti sauce on Saturday and you let it cook for hours with lots of different meats and you cook the sauce and then Sunday morning you heat it up again and uh, you sort of make it cook a bit longer and then you just put it on before the family comes for lunch. And uh, by the time our kids would get into my mother's home, the smell of the sauce, they wouldn't wait for the pasta to cook. They'd just get bread and dip it in the sauce. <laughs> and my mum would get really upset. She's going, you're not going to eat the lunch when it comes because you're already full, eating a loaf of bread, dipping the sauce. But they ate the lunch and they ate everything. And, um, you know, but what a lot of people don't know is, as Italians know this more than anyone, is they always cook more food than you need. And there's always leftovers. You know, you go to my mum's place for a meal, or you used to. She's in her home now, and she's got dementia, and she doesn't know where she is. She's left the planet, which is really, really, really difficult. But, you know, they give you stuff out of their garden, and they think there's no calories in that because it's homegrown. And they go, eat, 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 this is homemade. As if homemade's not got no calories, you know. And there was always too much food, and so you'd have leftovers. And if you reheated the pasta on Monday, it tasted even better. But if you've got a little frying pan, a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, I'm getting hungry. And, uh, and, uh, and you're putting this olive oil there and you just let it all go crusty and you cook it. It tastes even better. And the Lord spoke to me not that long ago. He goes, you know how you used to like the leftovers? He goes, you need to preach sermons that taste better on Monday. <laughs> you, you need to preach sermons that taste better on Tuesday when they are reheated. You were wondering where I was going to go with that story, right? 
So what I want to give you as a team today is something that when you guys talk about it next week, it'll make more sense and, and it will speak and it will activate. You know, someone came up to me not that long ago and said, Danny, stop trying to preach and bring the word. And I thought, sometimes you can make the art of the sermon and I could do that. I could have the introduction with the four points and the conclusion. And people go home and go, that was great. What did he speak about? Oh, I can't remember. And so I want to give the stuff you will remember, the stuff that tastes better on Monday and Tuesday. And when you eat it, you think, wow, this is doing me good. Uh, you know, pastor probably won't. You too could have a body like mine if you neglect it. But anyway, um, you know, <laughs> there you go. So Lord Jesus, help us today that, Lord, we will not just have information but there will be impartation and prophetic activation as we spend some time together sharing around your word and building our team. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the prophetic, I really do, because it's led my life over many, many years. And it was 2006 that we had a guy come to our church for the very first time called David McCracken. We had never met David before, and David McCracken was the first preacher, a prophetic voice in our church. The minute I picked him up at the airport, he goes, don't tell me, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to talk to anybody. If you've had him, you know he does that. And he got up and he prophesied what didn't make sense at the time. And he said, you know, this church, he, he had a vision, and he had a vision of three lunchboxes being, now, I understand food, I'm always about food. And so he started talking about food straight away. And he said, I saw a group of people waiting to be fed, and there were three lunchboxes that were brought out for these people to be fed. He said, the first lunchbox that was brought out, as people opened up the box, it was stale water and stale bread that had gone off, and people would smell it and go, we can't eat this. And then another box was brought in for people to have lunch, and that box was Twisties and Coke and chocolate and Mars bars, and, and it was amazing. And then all of a sudden he realises if people on an empty stomach eat that kind of food, they're going to get sick. And then there was a third lunchbox that was uh, brought in, and that lunchbox had freshly baked uh, wholemeal bread and spring water, and it was just baked, and it smelled nice, but it wasn't fancy, but it was just able to sustain people and feed them on an empty stomach and then he said Danny God's going to call you to serve that lunchbox all around the world that third lunchbox and you're going to go to country towns you, uh, this house is going to go into regions I see shop fronts and you know I've spoken in some shop fronts and this was 2006 and it's only just started happening in the last couple of years. But I'd forgotten. If I had time today, I'd show you that prophecy. I've got it on my phone. I'll show it to you later because then you'll cry. I like watching him cry. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, what happened was uh, I was flying to Brisbane. I've been coming to Queensland a lot in the last two years. And I was flying to Brisbane. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me on the plane. I, when there's no phones on, you know, you can just dream and I don't watch anything on the screens and the Lord speaks to me when he can get a word in edgeways and so uh, so what happens is he says to me um, there are three kinds of churches now I'd forgotten about that prophecy he says there are three kinds of churches that are going to emerge in Australia over the next four years that are going to look similar but are going to be very very different and he told me what they were he said number one was trendy church he said, there's going to be real trendy churches rise up, and I'll explain in just a moment. The other church was traditional church, and the third one was truth-honouring church, three Ts. So trendy church, traditional church, and truth-honouring churches. And he spoke to my heart, and I got so 
moved by what he was saying because I travel a lot and I go to a lot of churches and sometimes I see karaoke church. I see people doing the Hillsong songs and doing all the music and doing everything that looks right but somehow nobody really knows why they exist. They're sitting there going, we're just going through the motions. And, and, and it's like we're trying to be cool, we're trying to be trendy, we've got the screens, we've got the smoke machines, and yet something is missing, not that that stuff is totally wrong, but that on its own, as we copy other people, may not be an authentic version of who we are, and God is too great and too creative to put us into those boxes. There's things this church can do that no other church can do. There's things my church can do when I had one that no other churches can do, and God wants us to share the creativity and learn learn from each other, but have our own authenticity in, our, in what God's called us to do. And it's not always about the size of the church. It's about the size of impact, not the bottoms on seats. And so we want that and we want people to get saved. But a lot of the growth in trendy church comes from transfer growth where people don't get their opportunity in their church and another church gives them a better ministry opportunity and rather than making the decision on what's best for the kingdom, they make a decision on what's best for themselves as they make the career of ministry uh, be their domi- what dominates their lives and it's the beginning of the end. They will not last the distance with that kind of approach. And so God spoke to me and he said, there's trendy church and then there's traditional church. And I thought to myself, we think Catholic, Baptist, you know, stained glass windows as traditional church. Do you know how traditional the Pentecostal church has become? Man, we have our Christian lingo, you know, we have our three bright choruses, our worship ones, the announcements. And we say, oh, the Catholics have ritual and we don't. And so you've got traditional church. And then you've got truth-honouring church. And this is what the Lord said to me. When you go back to the Bible and honour the Word of God in how we build, we will always be trendy and we will only have godly traditions because Christians can have convictions that are not Christian conviction. Do you know how many Christians have convictions that are not in the Bible? I remember a guy coming up to me one time and go, if you wear that hat and if you wear those jeans, God will not move in the meeting. There'll be no anointing. Would you go and visit the queen dressed like that? And I'm going, okay, I understand where you're coming from. And I do believe we can have standards that are not in the Bible, but we can't bring the anointing down to that level and say, oh, well, the anointing won't be there if you do that. They are Christians with convictions, but they are not biblical conviction. And so I believe as we embrace truth-honoring church and become a truth-honoring church, we will never be behind the times because Jesus is never behind the times. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I am not good at change, and yet I pastored a church for 22 years that went through change after change after the first 10 years of going into the community and transforming the community when God led us I was scared spitless I mean I was happy scared I was happy but I was scared and people were saying things he's he's walked away from his Pentecostal distinctives you know um, he's no he's now going to become like the Salvation Army it's it's amazing people will judge you because of what's inside of them not what's inside of you. <laughs> and so I realise it doesn't have to be either or. It's the power of and. I need the power of God in the church and we need the power of God through the church to go into the community. And so God began to speak to me and I want you to write these three things down. Again, nothing to do with my notes. See? See what happens? <laughs> but I hope it's prophetic and not pathetic. And so, you know, and, and the Lord gave me three C's. Uh, uh, actually, three C's, but they start with D. So... <laughs> 
Number one, divine change. Number two, divine connections. And number three, divine culture. And what he said to me, he said, don't just have change for change's sake. Don't go off to a conference and you're in a church and they've got purple walls and you come home and you want to do purple walls. Those kind of changes are fine. We can do them. It's not a big issue. But he said, I only want you to change what I tell you to change. Because if heaven tells us to do it, it'll never take us backwards. It'll only take us forwards. Now, listen to me. Every time in our church we've brought change, people have left our church. And yet it was divine change. It was God-anointed change, but they didn't want the to be made uncomfortable. And so people left the church. I remember when the whole Rodney Howard Brown thing and the river thing was happening and people were rolling around on the floor and, and God called us to move into this warehouse. It was a miraculous opening of God to get this warehouse to be our church and we had to gyp rock it and we had to paint it and all the people that didn't want the change left our church and went and dipped down the river and they went to the Rodney Howard Brown meetings and when our church was all finished they came back and they said to people look at what we've done for the glory I said you weren't even here (laughs) and you still gotta love them eh? you still gotta love them of course and still let them be part of the story but you see The scripture that changed my life when we started our church was when Peter had been fishing all night in Luke chapter 5. Listen to this carefully. And I mean, these guys have heard some of this over the years because they've been in my world, but I've not been in your world. And I want to bring the foundations. I've got so much new stuff, but I want to bring foundations that I think will help you even understand where your leaders have been going and wanting to go over the years. And God speaks to me out of Luke chapter 5, where Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And I'd never seen it before until the birth of our church when God showed me this. And it says in Luke chapter 5, After Jesus finished speaking, Peter launched into the deep. And the Lord said to me, you know how many people start things but have not waited for Jesus to finish speaking? And we call it faith, but it's presumption. And so then they go into millions of dollars of debt. People don't end up paying off those buildings. People leave the church. All kinds of things go wrong because the pastor said we heard from God. But it wasn't God because I didn't wait. For, I didn't wait for Jesus to finish speaking. And I was walking on the beach one day, and I'm praying on the beach. And I'm walking on the beach. Uh, we used to live near the beach, as so I used to go down and pray. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said this: "I know when God speaks to me, when anything smarter comes into my head than I can think of, <laughs> it's probably God." <laughs> and He said this to me: "The risks that you take that flow from revelation." I will always reward with results. What a statement. The risks that you take that flow from revelation, I will always reward with results. Now you think to yourself, wow, you know, that's amazing because, uh, you know, God stands by what he, what he tells you to do. And I remember we're driving down this highway. I go past this massive warehouse. The guys have been there. It was an ugly warehouse. It had pet shops in there. It was a flea market on Saturday mornings where they sold animals and pets. The place stunk to high heaven. There were beer trucks. It was, a, it was like a flea market, like a, a fit on a Saturday morning. Massive sort of warehouse with an indoor cricket centre upstairs. And I'm driving down the road. We'd run out of room in the church that we were uh, pastoring and the the council was telling us they were going to fine our cars because they were double parked in the car park. So it, it, it was something that it wasn't agreed, it was a need, right? And I'm driving down the road and I look at this building and the Lord says to me, that's your building. 
They go, really? Got no money. That's my building. So I grabbed my Bible a few days later, going knock on the door of the office of the guy running the place. Knocked on the door. His name was Thorold. Thorold. And he looked like he was ready for heaven when I met him. And so I walk upstairs to his office. I walk into this bright pink and bright blue and blue shag pile carpet. I mean, I thought, Lord, if you're going to give me something, can it be nice? <laughs> you're going to give me this thing. This is as ugly as anything. And so I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name's Danny. I'm the pastor of the church up the road. And he said, sit down. He goes, what do you want? I said, um, do you want to sell this building? And he goes, no. And he goes, why are you here? I said, can I share my vision with you? I said, I was driving down the road and something tugged in my heart. I didn't say this is my building, but I said something tugged in my heart about this building because we need more room. And I want to build a community centre that touches the community, not just a church. He goes, church? What church? You're not in the assemblies of God, are you? And I go, why? He said, my sister goes to that paradise church. Well, that's the church that had sent me to start our church. And he goes, my sister goes to that church. I'm an atheist and she's been praying for me for 25 years. <laughs> so I said, well, Thorold, um, I, we, we, we need a building. But he said, how much can you afford? And I said, nothing. He goes, well, what are you doing here? I said, there's eight of us. And he goes, all my other partners are Greek. I said, well, I'm Italian, you know. And he goes, and you know how stingy they are. And if i got to get eight people to give you a building, you're not going to get it for nothing. And so I said, I was, okay, can I just leave my vision with you? You never know. Maybe one day. He goes, no, tell me the truth. How much can you afford? I said, nothing. I said, we just started as a church. We're growing fast. But, you know, we would lease something and then one day buy it. And he goes, look, just get out of here. He goes, I appreciate you telling me your story, but we can't do business. And about four, he took my number. I said, here's my number. Just ring me just in case. He rings me a few nights later and he goes, I can't sleep. <laughs> he says, I can't sleep. And he goes, I think it's your God. <laughs> he goes, how much can you really afford? Because <laughs> I need to get some sleep. <laughs> I said, nothing. I said, but I'll tell you what. We, I said, we could probably come up with $1,000 a week. He goes, what? I said, $1,000. I mean, you know how big the place is. I said, $1,000 a week rent and then maybe buy it when the church grows even more because we just go by the offerings that come in on Sunday. And he goes, that's not going to work. A few <laughs> nights later, he rings me back. He goes, I don't know what's going on in my head, but I think this building belongs to you. And so we gathered our then board and uh, they said, look, we don't know what's happened to our um, shareholders but they all want to give you this building. And so can you really afford 1000 a week? It was, we'll only give you the downstairs, but we'll give it to you for 1000 And then they came back a few days later and go, we don't know if we can do this because our storeholders, 80 of them, have renewed their lease and they've paid all this money. So we're going to have to pay them out and your $1,000 a week is not going to cover it. I said, well, sorry, we can't do business. A few days later, rings back. He goes, we've paid out all the storeholders. You're meant to have this building and my shareholders have given me a cheque for $50,000 to give to you towards renovating the building. Wow. <laughs> now, this is the sad part. 
I never saw Thorold again. We bought the building uh, because he moved into a home. His wife passed away. He was very elderly. And about a year ago, I get a phone call, and I was here in Brisbane. Uh, well, I'm not here. I was in Brisbane. And I get a phone call from uh, the lady, what's her name, uh, Karen White. And she goes, you're not going to believe what's just happened. And I said, what's happened? He goes, Thorold just walked through the door. And he had a frame. And he asked his neighbour to take him to his church. He'd never been to our church. And his wife had passed away and he walks in. So she gets on the phone and I'm having a FaceTime with him. I'm going, Thorold, how are you going? He goes, I can't believe it. I'd never seen what you did with this building. And, oh, this is, this is my church. I didn't realise you did all this. I didn't realise lives have been changed. I didn't realise what's happened. I said to Karen, film him saying all this. Thorold died three days, three days later. And the last place he walked into was the very building that he'd given away for the glory of God. And even though he wasn't part of our Christian family, and the dream that God had put in our hearts, the risks that you take... I've got goosebumps all over me. I, I, I'm not preaching now. I'm just telling you the truth. So, oh. <laughs> You see, sometimes when you preach, you do it evangelistically. You know, you stretch the truth, you know. I'm not an evangelistic person. That's the true story of Thorold. It's, this is being recorded. And, uh, and I thought, wow, how good is God? The risks that you take that flow from revelation, God will reward with results. After Peter finished speaking. See, it's divine change. Because when Jesus finishes speaking, it doesn't always make sense. You know, you can't go to Bible college and learn how to find the will of God so it makes sense to everybody. What do you do when God says, give up your church and give it to the next generation? Give your salary back, as I shared with the pastors yesterday, and, and live by faith again. That doesn't make sense. I'm 62. I should be rewarded for the years that I put in. But we don't do this to be rewarded. We do it because it's a privilege to serve God. And I entered the ministry with nothing. And if I leave with nothing, thousands of lives have been changed around the world. It's still a privilege to serve God. And it's not my expectation. It's my revelation to be able to serve God and it's an honour and it's a privilege. So divine change brings you into divine connection. It brings you to connect with the people that carry that same and posture. See, unity is not unity if it's not unity of doctrine, unity of devotion and unity of direction. Those things have to be in unity in a church. And so we had people come from all different types of churches and they didn't like that this church was growing. It scared them. But because it was divine change, God gave me the grace to take the people on the journey with me and we became divinely connected. And because of that, we built a divine culture. We came up with the non-negotiables that were our church, that God wasn't asking other churches to do, it was our church. Do you know what became excellence in our church? Because God told me to do everything with excellence, this horrible warehouse that we turned into a beautiful place. We did it for the glory of God because the Queen of Sheba came to see what Solomon built for the glory of God, not for his own glory. Do you know what 22 years ago was acts of excellence that people left our church because we were spending too much money on the building and all that kind of stuff. Now, 22 years later, that building's become our evangelism. 
that which God asked us to do back then now has become evangelism and we've got political parties hiring our building to use it. We've got the community coming in, parties, winery, and they have a brochure so that if you're a tourist, you can visit the area and when you visit the area in the brochure, it says go and have a look at a contemporary church. Edge Church up the road is a picture of true hospitality and generosity and when you go and have a look at that church, you'll, find, you'll feel different about church. Well, this is an unsaved, and now Karen is on the council, local council, as an advisor to the council, and and all those things, because we're being the salt out of the shaker. We're being the salt of the earth, not just the salt of the church. The light of the world, not just the light of the church. And I grew up in traditional church, so divine change, divine culture, and divine connections has led our lives to be consistent in building the kingdom of God. So I hope what I share will encourage you as you keep moving forward as well. A little bit about my world is that I served as a volunteer for 11 years for Pastor Andrew Evans in Adelaide at the Paradise Church. I joined when I was 16. And it's really funny when you say yes to Jesus. It's amazing the things I've always, as a 16-year-old, I just said, God, every time I get asked to do something, my first response is going to be yes, not no. It's going to be yes, yes, Lord, whatever you want. However, how do you want me to do it? However, how do I give up this if you want me to do that? But if you start with a yes first, it's a heart posture that says, whatever God wants for me, I want to do. Rather, no, nah, that's, that's not my calling. I'm not called to that. That's not who I am. Well, God may want to surprise you, and you might be stopping him. Because what happens at 16 years of age, I come to Pastor Andrew Evans, and he notices me, and he says, young man, you know, what do you do? Do you play any instruments? I said, I play the guitar according to the scriptures. Never let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. (laughs) So uh, I only played a few chords, you know. But back then it was like, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And we used to lead worship right there, remember? Boy, things have changed. Sing it again and we change key. And you never used an A minor in case Barry Smith was around because minor chords were from the devil. So that's how I started in ministry. And one day, I'm 16 years old, and he goes, well, we're going to believe in you. And so the first time I led worship, you've got to imagine, first time I led worship, this has got nothing to do with my notes, but, but I'm enjoying myself as, as, as you're having a good time. It's a good Saturday afternoon. Have a good time. I, uh, first time I led worship, I had a mullet. I was skinny. And I wore flares. And... Platform heeled shoes. So I'm leading worship. I got sideies down to here. And at the end of the service, one of the board members go up to Pastor Andrew and they go, Why did you get that guy to lead worship? He swiggles around like Elvis and he sweats like a pig. He wiggles around like Elvis. He sweats like a pig. And Pastor Andrew said to the staff, to uh, the board member, he said, there's something on that boy's life. And so eventually I got married to one of the girls in the church, Sharon. And uh, we'd just been married a short time. And a guy called Yongi Cho had come to Australia who had the largest church in the world. 
and he was promoting the power of connect groups, you know, and home groups. So Andrew gets, Pastor Andrew gets on board with this new teaching on home groups, and he comes to me and he goes, I want you to run a home group. I said, what's that? And he goes, well, you just gather kids in your home. And I said, what do I do with them? <laughs> and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> he says, just love them and teach them something. I said, I don't know what to teach. I don't know the Bible that well. You know, I did preach once about Paul and his wife Silas in prison, but I mean, that was so... <laughs> What did you put in that drink? <laughs> Tomorrow morning you'll cry. Uh, just hold that thought, but can you really try to bring friends tomorrow? And I'll tell you why. Tomorrow morning I'm going to speak about our son being killed two years ago by a lightning strike. And uh, it was a horrible, horrible day, the worst day of my life. And I want to share, because some of you have had loss as well, I want to share why we're still standing. If you would have told me I'd be carrying on like this today and we'd all be laughing, uh, a short time ago I would have said, no way, the pain was so deep. So tomorrow morning I'm going to speak about that, but then tomorrow night I'm going to talk about how to have your own God story so that whatever comes your way you will never falter. And so bring unchurched people if you can, friends, not because I'm here, but let's take the opportunity through personal stories. Personal stories are real and so they can impact people's lives more than information. So that would be great. So Andrew Evans says to me, I want you to start this thing called a home group. And I thought, well, I don't really know what to do, but I can play the guitar three chords. And Sharon, my wife, she goes, you know what we'll do? We'll get tip-top muffins. We'll cut them in half. We'll put tomato paste on them, a little bit of ham and pineapple, which is swearing to an Italian pineapple on a pizza. But anyway, she goes, we'll put that on, cooking in the oven, make some door stops or doorsteps, they used to call them in those days, little sandwiches that are toasted in the oven and we bought some sausage rolls and, and we didn't have a lot of money. I worked in a menswear store. I, we, weren't, we were on two mortgages. I bought my first house, $21,000. <laughs> my first house, $21,000. And I had two mortgages. So, uh, so we started inviting kids over. Within 12 months, we had to split those groups and start more groups and start more groups. And so within the first 12 months, we had 200 kids in home groups. Four Corners, Channel 2 program, Four Corners heard about it and came and did a documentary on why kids are not taking drugs but going to Bible studies during the week and did a whole documentary on it. And so all of a sudden, it's selling clothes in a menswear store I could sense wasn't my destiny. But loving on these kids, we cried with them when they were hurting. We, 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 we used to fast on the day and just finish with supper after the youth uh, home group with all those pizzas. We ate more food after the meeting than we would have eaten all day anyway. We were, we were so hungry. And I realised that saying yes to Jesus, he doesn't embarrass you. You know, saying to yes to him, he trusts what he's put in you and he wants to take you somewhere. Sometimes you don't know what you've got. But that yes to Jesus started a journey for me. And so what happened was in 1983, we're about to open the big building, you know, the, the Paradise Building. And at the end of 82, right towards the end, the drummer of the church left the church. And he left the church, he got in a snoot about something and left and we couldn't find a drummer. And so, uh, well, he stayed for a while and he left in 83. And I think it was about September 83, we opened the building. No drummer. We had another guy for a while, but he left the church. And so Pastor Andrew says to me, can you play drums? I said, well, not really, but 
I said, when I was at school, I did music, and we all had to play the 4-4 beat at school. And so that's all I could play, and I could do a bit of swing, you know? And so, but most choruses were 4-4 or swing, you know? So I said, if you trust me, I'll give it a go. And he goes, well, give it a go, because we haven't got a drummer. So on the opening of the new building, I'm the new church drummer. And you think, what? Have you seen the video? If you go on YouTube, you will see that video. It's on YouTube with my long hair. And, and I'm a, now I'm a, left, I'm a left-hander. So I don't even cross over and play the drums like most drummers do. I'm playing like this. And it looked really weird because drums don't look like that. And so Danny Guglielmucci, who wasn't a pastor, was the church drummer. And I'm praying to myself and to God and going, I hope no decent drummers come to church because if they'll hear me playing... I can't tell you what happened other than this. I wasn't that good. But when the anointing came and I just started to worship as I'm playing, I developed a God-given skill to play out of order of the natural and just played. And ladies and gentlemen, I was the drummer for the next eight years. (laughs) So on behalf of the Lord Jesus today, thank you. Thank you for no is an acceptable answer, but yes is a better answer. When we, can you imagine if Mother Teresa had said no? Can you imagine? She'd still, be in, she'd still be in heaven, but we would miss out on the fruit of what God had put within her to give. And so I served as a volunteer, worked in a menswear store during the day. I led more people to Christ. And I'm not lying to you. This, I mean, I'm, I, I'm at the counter one. We'll never get to this message. But I'm at the counter. You like these stories anyway. But I'm at the counter one day selling clothes. And a guy walks in with a big bushy beard, long hair. And he'd ridden a push bike from Brisbane to Adelaide days. And he'd ridden. He comes in to buy pants or trousers because he wanted to go to a disco. Do any of you know what that is? <laughs> he was going to go to a disco because they wouldn't let you into the disco if you had jeans. And he only had shorts and, and a, back, a backpack with some, just a little bit of clothing. And, and he, buys, he comes in to buy these trousers and the Holy Spirit says to me, take him home for lunch today. And I'm going, he's just a customer that's just walked in through the shop door and he looks a bit wild. He, you know, he might kill us, you know. I mean, I don't, he looked a bit wild. And so as I'm talking to him, I said, how long are you in Adelaide for? He said, I leave on Monday. I said, really? I said, would you like to have a look at Adelaide today while you're... He goes, well, you don't know me. I said, yeah, but I've been to America and people are so kind to us. I'm not American, I'm Canadian. <laughs> from a place called Peace River in Canada. And he says to me, uh, I'm leaving on Monday on my bike, but yeah, if you want to take me around, I'll be, be fine. So I took him home for lunch that day. He waited around till we finished work and took him back to my house, rang my wife. She was okay with it. She goes, my sister's here and we're cooking, so there's plenty of food. And so in the afternoon, I'm taking him for a drive around Adelaide and I, I don't know why I said this. To this day, I don't know why I said this. I said, have you seen the film The Exorcist? And he goes, why? Because <laughs> the film had just come out at that time, you know? And he goes, I have not been able to sleep since watching that movie and weird things are happening in my mind and in my room at night. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. He goes, I don't want to hear about religion. I said, yeah, I'm in the backseat of the car. We're driving around and I'm using, God's given me words of knowledge for this guy and 
he doesn't, he goes, how did you know that? Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? So anyway, I said, look, we have a youth group. We were still at Clemsey, Dave and Helen, we were still at Clemsey. And, and I said, we've got a youth group. Um, would you like to come to that instead of going to the nightclub? And he goes, well, you know what? I'll try anything once as long as you don't ram religion down my youth group that night. Altar call happens and Marcel Fortier, that was his name, French descent, raises his hand to give his life to Jesus. I just met him in a menswear store that day, that morning. Anyway, Marcel Fortier, the next day we're taking him home, Sharon and I, we're not taking him home, we're taking him to a house of one of our young guys who said he can stay at my house tonight, he doesn't have to stay at the YMCA. And while I'm driving so zealous for God, I said, have you ever heard about the Holy Spirit? And he goes, not really. I said, have you ever heard about speaking in tongues? And Sharon's in the back seat kicking the seat. Like, going, give the guy a chance. He's only just got saved last night and you're giving him the works. He goes, no, but I want to. Prayed for him. Monday morning, he hangs his bike up in my mate's shed and starts Bible college. Stayed in Adelaide for a whole year. Married a girl in our church. They couldn't have children, so they adopted two boys, and they are still living in Adelaide today. But listen to this story. I mean, that's good, but wait till you hear this. So his senator find out that he's given his heart to the Lord, and he was into the new age, and he was hugging trees and saving whales and snails and all sorts of stuff, and, you know, and, you know, and, and he couldn't find himself, and, and he was looking for God. And, and, and what happens is he finds God, and tells his family in Canada, they get on a plane and they fly to Australia to come to meet us, to come and see who's changed our son's life. He's, they were Catholic background and they all turned up. They ended up getting saved, a whole bunch of them, going back to Canada, two of them working for the Salvation Army, running a food truck, and a whole family is completely turned around by one encounter in a menswear store on a Saturday morning. But you've got to make yourself available for those stories because yes. God wants to surprise you. And it's not about how many hours a week you give to the church. It's about a full-time yes to Jesus and he gives himself to you. So I saw these miracles not as a pastor. I saw these miracles as a volunteer. It says in Psalm 110, they shall be volunteers in the day of my power. I want to say one of the greatest moves of God that's going to happen in the next 10 years, and I'm prophesying right now, is that we won't be employing people to work at the church. People will be volunteering all over the place because they'll count it a privilege. God will bless their businesses. God will bless their finances. And they will be able to say, we want to donate this many hours a week and we want to serve the kingdom of God because we do it with heart, not because it's a job we have to do. Do you know how many volunteers in our church lost their joy when they became staff members? Before they became staff members, they loved what they did. And then we employed them because they loved what they did. And then when they became employees, it really broke their hearts because they just wanted nights off, they wanted to be home, and everything changed because they saw the church as sucking up their lives. And I want to tell you, I've been serving God for all my life. I'm 62, and I want to tell you, I haven't had a burnout. I'm not going to have a burnout because it's a privilege and an honour yeah. to volunteer. So I still have the heart of the volunteer for 11 years. For another 11 years, I served as an under-shepherd. 
And I served under Pastor Andrew Evans and I had a revelation of covering. Now, you've got to understand, my dad was a pastor of a church and he was so abusive in his teaching, not as a person. He's a beautiful man, but he only did grade two, did not know how to interpret the Bible. And so what happened was this little Italian church that we grew in had a set of rules. And if you don't obey the rules, you get excommunicated from the church. And like the Catholic Church, the Italian Pentecostal Church, they, they, they actually they shake hands with the word of peace. Peace, brother. Peace, sister. You know, they use the word peace like they do in the Catholic Church. If you did something wrong in the church, they would remove the sign of peace off you. And they will announce publicly, do not talk to these people. They are in disobedience. I'm 16 years old watching people get abused, watching people's names being quoted from the platform. My dad was the pastor, saying, don't have anything to do with that couple because they've been fornicating. And so this is the kind of stuff that I grew up with. So you would think covering would not be something I would like. But when I finally came under Pastor Andrew and realised that he was giving me biblical leadership, see, we're not meant to give blind loyalty. We're meant to give biblical loyalty. But we still got to give loyalty. And so I, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Sophie, I'm not following Christ. Don't follow me. Otherwise, it is blind loyalty and people get controlled and manipulated. But covering is not control. Covering is protection. And I remember Pastor Andrew asking me to do things and they weren't against the Bible. He wasn't asking me to leave my, life, my wife and run off with my soulmate. You know, he was asking me to run a home group. He was asking me to do things that were going to grow me and, and turn me into who God wanted me to be. So I came under covering, and I've got to tell you this quick story. And I, I became the youth pastor at Paradise after uh, Tim Hall was the youth pastor for, for Baines and Helen in the early days. Were you running the youth in the early days when you came? Yeah, that's right, because you were my youth pastors. I was under your covering. And then Tim Hall, and, and that's, a, that's an interesting one, being with Tim. Uh, he tries to cover you, but he's running so fast you can't keep up with him, and he's all over the shop. But he handed over to a guy called Alan Gray, and Alan Gray had a breakup of a marriage, married to a blind lady uh, with three, uh, with two blind children. And we were in a singing group together. And his marriage, she kicked him out of the marriage. She didn't want to be married anymore. I've been praying for Alan Gray for 35 years, and he's just come back to the Lord. Can you believe that? And now he's in a church in Brisbane, and he's doing really well. I have to tell you the end of that story. But I remember I'd become the youth pastor, and every Saturday morning I'd go and visit Pastor Andrew, and what I would do is I'd bring a list on an A4 piece of paper of the things I wanted to do in the youth. And I remember one day I'd go and and give him this sheet of paper about what it, I wanted to talk about sexuality with our young people and that whole issue. And he reads the notes and, and uh, he says to me, Danny, I, I don't think the youth are ready for this. And I got really hurt, you know, inside because I'm thinking, I've prayed over this. I've really sought God over this. And he goes, look, Danny, I want you to put it on the shelf. It's not quite the right time. So I get in the car and as I'm driving off, the Holy Spirit said to me, how lucky are you? that you can submit to biblical authority and now I protect you through him. And if he says no, you are, you're off the hook because he's your covering. I get home within about an hour of me getting home, the phone rings and it's Pastor Andrew. He said, you know, after you left, Danny, I went to prayer, just spending some time praying for the weekend and the Lord said to me, I was wrong and that actually God has spoken to you and you need to go ahead with that program and I just want you to know, forget what I said, just do it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, when you submit to your covering, I can talk to your covering and I am protecting you. Well, a few months later, I go back again with another one. And uh, he turned around and said, no, I don't think this is going to work. I get in my car, I drive. God's going to tell him and I'm going to win again. 
didn't happen. He was right the second time and I was wrong. <laughs> the second time he was right and I was wrong and I thought, what a protective relationship that we protect each other through covering. So I served another man as an under-shepherd to him, not under control, but under covering. And over the last 22 years, I've been able to give leadership because I still give fellowship. I, I have this saying, who can say no to you? I think that's a good question. Because yeah. I don't think I've got the right to ask you to say yes to me when I cast vision if I don't have someone that can say no to me. And so right now, I've started a ministry called Pattern Builders, because that's my life message. I have five board members, and all the money that comes into Pattern Builders, they decide my salary. Even now at 62, I will not touch money. I will not touch those things, because I want to finish my race strong. I've told our church for the last 10 years, hey guys, I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. One decision. One decision, I can totally blow it. And all the good that you've done all your life can be screwed up in one decision. And so I need covering over my life, and so I have people that can say no to me. Uh, therefore, people are happy to say yes because they feel I'm not controlling them. And so what's happened, I've told you all that today. When do we have a break? Now, quarter past? Five minutes. I'll give you five minutes, and then we can cover this after the break. Um, I'm on page one. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, all right, okay. So what's happened, what was I saying? Over the last 22 years, God has enabled me to lead Edge Church through different stages. And there's been three major stages that I think every church will go through. And so I'll give you what they are, and then we'll talk about them after a break, a couple of minutes stretch your legs break. But I believe in stage one, when you start a ministry like we did Edge Church, we grew from naught to 500 in three months. That's not normal. I mean, when you've, got, when you've got Brian Houston ringing you up and going, how does it feel having the fastest growing church in the country? And when he said that to me, I've never been more frightened in all my life. I thought, because what happens if I stop being the fastest growing church? See, the pressure of performance brings more pressure for performance. And I felt so lonely. And he meant it from a good heart, so please, I'm not having to go at him. But I'm, he was really pumping me up, and I'm going, yeah, but I've got to keep this thing going. And it was the Holy Spirit that did it, but it wasn't all the Holy Spirit. It was people from disgruntled churches coming to our church because I was known as a Youth Alive leader. I was known as being contemporary. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. People will join a church for what they're against, not necessarily for what you are for. I didn't realise that at the time. I just thought, all oh, these people love me. Well, I was the fourth member of the Trinity for quite a while. <laughs> and then when I, when I didn't give people the ministries they wanted and they left our church, I was, man, I had horns, you know, and the people that wrote me letters, who do you think you are? Uh, and I would cry myself to sleep and say to Sharon, tell me I don't have to do this. Tell me I don't have to do this. I, I rolled over in bed one night and I said to Sharon, the world would be so awesome without people. <laughs> because I, I wasn't trained for this. Whoever flies a Cessna twice and we make them the pilot of the A380? But we do that in ministry. We say, go and have a go, mate. Step out in faith. 
and that's fine, but if we don't have the support structures around, and I didn't have the support structures. You know, I was this famous, fast-growing church, but I had to deal with all the stuff during the week and the immorality, and one of my staff members who comes over and joins us, and within two weeks of joining us has a moral fall just before we're about to open the new building with one of the staff. I mean, how do, who prepares you for that? My wife, Sharon, had a grey streak go through her hair overnight out of the fear of this moral fall that had taken place. So it, it's not all beer and Skittles, you know? It's, I mean, I mean what, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so let's have a break. Let's have a beer and then we'll uh, come back. And talk about the three stages. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.